You're listening to Living Brave Podcast. I'm Yukari Peerless. Welcome to Living Brave Podcast, Episode 10. Every episode, I share a conversation with someone who is living brave. Today's guest is Tetsuro Shigematsu. Tetsuro is a theater artist and playwright based in Vancouver. I first met Tetsuro when I went to see his first show, Empire of the Sun, back in 2015. I fell in love with his show. I saw it twice. I also have the book. I have been a huge fan of his ever since, and I've been all his shows so far. I'm also grateful he has become a family friend of ours, and I love his wife, Bahari, as well. This episode was extra fun for me as I love talking to him. He is so eloquent. I laughed many times editing this episode. So without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Tetsuro. Welcome to Living Brave Podcast. Today's guest is world famous Tetsuro Shigematsu. <laughs> Welcome. I've never heard of before. <laughs> how famous I am. I'm so famous, you don't even know me. <laughs> well, so, okay. First of all, congratulations on your uh, Powell Street telethon success. Oh, thanks. How was that? I, well, I watched part of it. It was so much fun. While we were doing and preparing for the telethon, uh, you know, we had lots of young people with the Powell Street Festival Society. Mm-hmm. And of course, Powell Street, for any of your listeners who may not know the one or two, Powell Street Festival is uh, one of the oldest cultural festivals in Canada mm-hmm. that celebrates Japanese Canadian culture, uh, mostly by eating it or <laughs> yeah. uh, vendors. It usually takes place in the near Oppenheimer Park on the downtown east side. And mm-hmm. of course, that was the historic home of Japantown mm-hmm. or Nihon Machi. Yeah. So every year it's been going on since 1977, I believe. Mm-hmm. But this year, of course, was the first year they couldn't hold it. Yeah. Uh, for obvious reasons. But we had a telethon instead. And yeah, that was, uh, we were raising money for the Powell Street Festival Kitchen, mm-hmm. which was an initiative to hire our friends from the downtown east side to uh, help cook meals. Mm-hmm. And our fundraising goal was. 40,000. Mm-hmm. I'm very proud to report that uh, the whole team, uh, over a course of a five hour telethon, you know, we raised $62,000. So, mm-hmm. we were... yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and of course, my own contribution, um, co hosting with Yurie Oyoyong. Mm-hmm. Not <laughs> for some reason, her name always escapes me. Oyoyong. Yeah. That proves how. How I'm more Canadian than Japanese, I suppose. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we had so much fun. And we realized as we were preparing for it that telethons are, in fact, a kind of generational phenomenon that the, I think the younger folks who were volunteering, those in their 20s, they were not totally clear on what, what telethon is. Yeah, because like, you know, I grew up watching Jerry. Who was that? Jerry. Sorry, I'm the person. He, who did the, uh, I want to say Jerry Lewis, but the, can, can that be right? Anyway, wow. this old Hollywood um, mm. icon who used to host this other telethon. Yeah. And so, or, for example, you know, public NPR, yeah. yearly telethons. But I, we realized, oh, yeah, this is sort of a, a generational phenomenon. So, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was just tons of fun. It, we had uh, such a great time doing it and also showcasing all the Japanese Canadian talent that yeah. exists in the community. I saw you uh the part that you're putting your hands in the ice <laughs> ice filled bucket to grab the water. In the aquarium. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a good moment for you to catch because our desire for hosting this mm-hmm. telephone was that we wanted these interstitial bits with myself and Yurie to be kind mm-hmm. of like a Japanese game show. Game show, yeah. Yes. And so Yurie was admirably sadistic. <laughs> yeah. He was coming up with all sorts of ideas of uh, how to punish me or torture mm-hmm. me or or what have you. So, yeah, we were vying for host supremacy. I think the person who won the ice challenge was able to have uh, a particular object hit the, to hit the other person with. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, what do you call yeah. that thing? It's a fan, but there's a name for it. Yeah, like something like... Oh, yeah. it's... I, I didn't 
I wasn't familiar with the term. That's a very Japanese yeah game show thing. Yes, and, and I so, can't remember the word because I like I literally haven't seen it. And I saw you guys on the telethon. I was like, oh my god, like I haven't seen it for a long time. Like yeah, the last time I've seen it probably in the eighties on TV in Japan. Oh okay, so I'm surprised Yudie. Well, you know who knows how old she is. Well, Japanese they probably <laughs> they probably do that in Japanese TV. But yeah, you seem to be in your element. It was so fun to watch. I, I felt so much in my element. I actually had a moment where I thought I I was questioning, you know, my life choices. Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe I should just be humiliating myself all the time.、Um, although my partner Bahari did admonish me at one point. I mean, just after the fact that with those giant fans, I kept on hitting you. Yudie、mm-hmm. on her backside. Oh, I figured that would be less painful because she was wearing a hairpin. Right, right, right.、Uh, Hari was saying, "Oh no, that looks like Sakuhara." Oh yeah, Sakuhara. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, you don't want to hit her head, right? Exactly, because she was hitting me in the head, and she said, "It doesn't hurt, right?" Touch on like off camera,、right. but it's so loud、mm-hmm. and it's so fast. It's may not like leave a bruise, but it, it's really shocking. <laughs> Yeah. By something that loud and fast, and、mm-hmm. it's like a thunderclap, right, 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 right above your your eyelids. <laughs> so I thought I was being merciful by hitting her on her oshiri. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, that seems like a lot of fun. It's interesting because we're going to be doing this something very similar, but super, super, super small scale in Victoria. Like I don't think it's going to be a telethon, but I'm going to be the host. My colleague from DNCS. Craig is going to be. We're just going to be a host. Like it's not going to be as you know fun and interesting as you and Yuri. We're just going to be on the talking head and saying, you know, welcome to. I think we're just going to do a fair. We'll do performance, some live performance, and you know, pre-recorded performance. Like so, we're having a meeting about it tonight too. Oh, But, nice. So well, we're saying like we should watch Power Street, you know, what they're doing, and learn from them. And I was like, no way, we can do, you know. In your capacity, because it was a full live—it's like a live TV broadcast. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what it was.、Uh, yeah, and that's all thanks to Suzanne Tabata,、mm-hmm. who had won a Leo, in fact, while we were on the eve of performing. So it was a pretty extraordinary、uh, operation from、mm-hmm. a technology point of view. The, the sheer number of people. Yeah.、Bought. Yeah. But、uh, oh, good for you! So you're going to be、uh, sitting in the host chair、uh, soon yourself, then? Yeah, this fall. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So, okay. Well, tell me what what are you up to other than well, now that the Paul Street's over. Gosh, yes. You know, I've been so busy during this、uh, COVID nineteen season or、mm-hmm. year that、uh, it's been kind of exhausting for me. I mean, I don't, I don't have any complaints. I'm one of the,、mm-hmm. I think, the few that、um, just finds maybe I have too much to do on my hands. But I've been teaching online. Okay. So out at UBC and with Capilano University.、So、What are you teaching?、Uh, well, on one hand, I was teaching playwriting at Cap. Okay. I was also teaching some pre-service teachers at UBC because my PhD was in education.、Mm. Uh, I also did some online mentoring for the Frank Theater, which is、uh, Western Canada's、uh, professional queer theater. Okay. And so there was a young cohort of early career writers who were all. Non-binary,、uh, no. so that was an interesting experience. We had we would have weekly writing sessions. That's great. Yeah, so I think that's one of the challenges of this time is that just people remaining connected.、Mm-hmm. And someone pointed out that oh, you should always be mindful to reach out to different people in your life because even though people like. Yourself and myself, we might be connected. We might assume that everyone else has similar levels of connection,、mm-hmm. whereas、uh, some people may not be having any conversations、mm-hmm. for days or weeks at a time. So、yeah. that was a, a good point.、Um, I'm also working on my my book, my memoir called.、Okay. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what the title is, but it's an exploration of of masculinities. Yeah. So、uh, that would be good. Maybe.、Um, One possible title is, you know, because it's a memoir,、mm-hmm. the manliest man of all mankind. <laughs> a memoir, volume one. <laughs> volume one. 
What about the, oh my God, what was the English translation for your name? I can't remember. Um, oh, philosophy. philosophy. Yeah. Or philosophy boy. Yes. Yeah. Man of philosophy or something like that. Yeah. Yes. Although if I, if I were to have the word philosophy in the title, I don't think I would sell many books. <laughs> okay. I was also thinking maybe self-help for samurai, <laughs> but then Bihari would say anything that has self-help on it will automatically alienate the whole hmm. swath of the reading population. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I'm going to think about it. Yeah, please do. Yeah. No, that would be a really good book. I'm really interested in reading it. Oh, thanks. I love your writing. Oh, your writing's so good. Uh, you are my biggest supporter. <laughs> uh, I, I so appreciate your friendship. You're welcome. Okay. Um, how are your kids doing? I, um, is she is she take learning Japanese with your mom? Yeah, thank you very much for your suggestion regarding the um, textbook. It's a plan. As for whether it will actually happen, uh, that remains to be seen. Yeah. But there's an interest. So my mom likes to speak Japanese um, mm -hmm. to my kids and me as well. So it's nice to hear Nihongo yeah. uh, in the uh, So Mika's interested. Yeah. Uh, she's keeping kind of odd hours in that she'll stay up all night and you know wake up around sometime in the afternoon mm -hmm. so well, it's like they're living in a different time zone teenager yeah, yeah yeah so in some respects it's a little bit like um yeah my most recent play kuroko in this, mm -hmm. even though we're occupying the same household where <laughs> you don't see her yeah in different dimensions <laughs> <laughs> yeah well yeah like our son is he's gonna be 12 next week and yeah mark and i always say it's like what happened and it's like, for me, he's my second, you know, second son. So second teenagehood. So mm -hmm. I'm a little bit used to it. But like for Mark, as a stepdad, he, he's never seen, he's never gone through the teenage time. So he oh. was like, what is going on? Like last week, he was this little and he was like five last week. And now he doesn't want to talk to us. And he's like freaking out about it. And I was like, ah, that's normal. That's what old teenagers do. And I'm oh, kind of used funny. to it. Yeah, Taizo can be lured out from his gaming world during mealtimes, um, but very reluctantly. And he'll eat a little bit and then he'll get up to leave yeah. right away. And sometimes we force him to stay at the table. Yeah. But it takes a lot of energy to keep him there. Yeah, yeah. So, here. yeah, he longs to be in the virtual gaming world. Yeah, yeah, that kind of reminds me of your last play, Kuroko. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was, uh, in fact, I consulted with Taizo as, as much as I could in terms of, because he's such a, he's a native of that world. Yeah, yeah. And so, and I've never been a gamer myself. So yeah. it was important to me to, to get it right. And it's nice to have an expert in the mm -hmm. family. Hmm. So, okay, well, what else is, what are you doing this fall? Don't you have a um, one-hour photo? Oh, yeah. You have, a, you have a great memory. Uh, so we were gearing up to have a tour of one-hour photo going across Canada. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, again, thanks to the global pandemic, those plans are very much in the air. At least one theater has canceled altogether. Well, canceled their whole season. Mm -hmm. So we're thinking of perhaps doing a film version a kind of oh. cinematic adaptation of one hour photo okay so one hour photo of course uh is my largely solo work it's, it's pretty much a solo work this time around even though the last iteration had the musician steve charles also on stage mm -hmm. but it is an exploration of the uh, japanese canadian incarceration mm -hmm. uh, specifically through the life of a man named mass yamamoto so yeah, uh, I'm excited about that. That might be filming sometime towards the end of the year. Okay. And then the idea is maybe we might have something in the way of a virtual tour mm -hmm. while we sell a particular window of screening this version of one hour photo uh, to their audiences. Yeah, yeah. No, that would be good. Yeah, so I'm excited about that. You, Yeah, you're busy. Yeah, well, I'm grateful to, to be, yeah, engaged. Although I was hoping this summer would be a little more relaxing, but again, yeah, no, no complaints. Yeah. I think you also have something for NAGC, right? Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, you know my life better than I do. Uh, thanks for <laughs> me. Yeah, I have an upcoming, and I'm using air quotes, masterclass mm -hmm. uh, regarding the art of the interview. Yeah. 
and how it relates to storytelling. Right. Because my last two solo works, Empire of the Sun, which was about my relationship with my father, and One Hour Photo, which was exploration of the incarceration, were largely based upon interviews. Yeah, what mm -hmm. we're doing right now. So I want to be able to share some, both some pragmatic techniques and some of the ideas about what what's involved in terms of interviewing for the purposes of storytelling. Yeah, I can't remember the date on that, but I'm sure I can find out. I think that's something I want to take as well. That's like anyone can take that. It's like a one-time course, right? Yeah, it'll be like a, a workshop online. Workshop, yeah, yeah. I think it will be, uh, they'll, I'll be doing a presentation showing some clips as well as, you know, doing some Q&A afterwards as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 I think, I think we're going to be doing it on Tuesday, August 18th. So oh, okay. Good to know. I believe that's, that's right. I'm yeah. meeting with the NAJC arts people next week, I think. So I'm sure we'll get the date confirmed then. Okay. If I'm wrong, you can tell me. When <laughs> no, that would be really good. Uh, I think everyone should attend that. Um, that's something I'm interested in doing and want to be good at. My, I don't know when this is going to complete that project that I want to do is like an interview Japanese immigrants. Oh, because there are plenty of like oral histories and or other history of, you know, people from internment era, mm -hmm. Japanese Canadians. And they also like the people like my age or, and younger immigrants, like the, their stories are pretty common. Like, you know, either they came here for to study English and stayed or they came as a working holiday visa and they stayed like pretty similar. But I'm kind of curious about after the war until maybe the 70s or 80s like why did they come to canada how mm. what is your story because back then well maybe they came just here came here to study english but i'm i'm just kind of curious so the people like in the generations a little bit above like in their 50s to 70s i guess like i want to know what their stories are and i don't really think there are stories out there right now i think you're right uh in academia we would call that a gap in the literature so yeah. yeah i think you're exactly right i don't think we know very much and that was the era that my parents uh, mm, yeah uh, so post uh, incarceration but yeah. yeah part of this this wave of immigration that i think was uh catalyzed by pierre elliott trudeau's uh change in immigration legislation uh, mm. wanting to attract uh, more educated people from abroad mm. so i think um yeah a lot of the immigrants from japan came yeah through. yeah that's a that's a great project and but your parents came for work right they didn't like immigrate immigrate well they weren't they? migrants in the sense that we were living in england at the time right they came just to make a new start so they, they okay. didn't, didn't have a job i think his original intention was to be a green grocer oh, which okay. is how I don't think he realized at the time that that profession was really monopolized by Koreans mm -hmm. uh, in Canada. But I don't think my father, he worked for the BBC in London, but right. I don't think he had any expectation that he would continue to work in broadcasting oh, in okay. Canada. But when he was able to, I think that was yeah unexpected. Yeah. Maybe I can interview your mom sometime. Oh, yeah, for sure. She's, uh, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, got, um, yeah, so she, yeah, and her story is quite interesting in the sense that she, as a young person, she left Japan, I believe during the 50s, mm. uh, to study at American universities long before there was any kind of exchange programs. Mm -hmm. So because she came from relative privilege, her parents were able to arrange things in such a manner that she was able to receive this sort of American Ivy League education during a time when there were virtually no international students. Mm. So, yeah, I, um, wow. I'd be happy to, to talk to you. Yeah. Well, I remember your dad is from Kagoshima. Where is your mom from? Osaka. Osaka, okay. That's interesting. Okay, yeah, I want to do that for sure. Terrific. It's funny, I just literally this morning, I finished reading Pachinko. Have you read that book? My mom is reading it right now upon my recommendation. That Japanese one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because the book came out in what, 2017, and it was totally off my radar. I didn't know anything about it. Wasn't that interested. But now the Japanese translation just came out at the end of July, and I was like, I have to get it. And I thought about 
get in the English version, which is, you know, I'm sure I can get it from anywhere, but it's pretty big book, right? It's like a really thick, uh, well, I don't know if it's in a book, so it was kind of effortless, but uh, yeah, it's, but it's such a, it's such a saga. I think yeah. it's going to into a Netflix series. I think so. Yeah. I think I read somewhere and I think they're going to film in Canada in Vancouver. Oh, I love that. Like uh, in, I'm sure they're going to film maybe some parts in Japan and, but some parts in Vancouver. I think I saw something about that. Yeah. That would be really interesting. And yeah. What an interesting story. Yeah. Um, interesting. Fascinating. Um, Although my mom said reading the book makes her a little sad because she feels responsible or guilty. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. As a Japanese person reading it makes us feel horrible. And you know, I have the urge to say not all Japanese people. Um, but I'm sure there are plenty of people like that still probably. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's why I had like, I'm not sure if I mentioned, but I put on these two online sort of like a discussion because of the, you know, what's going on with the Black Lives Matter and, you know, a lot of discussion on social media. And I've seen plenty of people, Japanese people on Twitter saying, oh, like there's no discrimination in Japan. This is, a, this is only in America. Wow. Black people. And I was like, what? So, yeah. And I recently had a second, first one event was focused more on Black Lives Matter, you know, like foreign people, foreigners living in Japan. And all the discrimination they receive, right? Like a gaijin, otherism, whatnot. The second one, we focus more on the discrimination in Japan. And we had people like a Zainichi Korean people. So yeah, this, the book was uh, extra relevant to me because I just had that event and I met some Korean people. And yeah, of course, I'd never really thought about it, right? Because I, I have nothing to do with them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I don't have any relative who are Korean. You know, I knew there's a discrimination, but it never affected me because I'm so privileged. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, cultural blind spots mm -hmm. and the national imaginary of the, the Japanese. I, I think Canadians are, the, are similar as well. Yeah. They, they think, oh, we, we don't have any racism problem in, in Canada. <laughs> right. Yep. I uh, remember that, that line from... I think that's a one hour photo. And I think I mentioned this to you before. It's like one of the most memorable line in that play was how the Canadian government put up all the internment camps and they did it so effectively because they practiced it before with indigenous right. people. Yeah. With the Indian Act. Right, right. Absolutely. And in yeah. fact, people are probably surprised when they learn that South Africa's system of apartheid was in fact modeled on uh, Canada's treatment of the indigenous people. Mm. So the South African representatives would regularly visit uh, reservations, residential schools, what have you. Yeah. Uh, they were great admirers of what uh, Canadian government was able to achieve. Yeah. Systemic, uh, yeah, cultural genocide. Yeah, oh, crazy. Hmm, got really dark, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so you're writing, you say you're writing your memoir, but is there anything else you're working on? Like, I would love to see something, something new from you. Like, Oh, not, yeah. Not to put a pressure, but... Uh, well, my memoir, which is an exploration of masculinities, will mm -hmm. also be a play. Okay. So I'm also writing pieces that I think will not necessarily read so well off the page, but I think they'll be lots of fun to perform with an audience. Mm. So it, it's kind, I'm kind of developing both projects uh, simultaneously. Mm. Yeah, so that that is kind of... Two projects, one book and one theater show, but probably have a, a similar title. Uh, as for what else I'm working on, let me just look at my, my <laughs> post-it notes here. Um, well, I served on the Canada Council jury recently, and that was very interesting. Wow. Yeah, so it was fascinating to learn about different artists from across the country. Mm -hmm. Canada Council, uh, of course, is uh, the federal funding body that supports the arts. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting to read about the artists who I do know and all and gain intimate knowledge about their upcoming projects, mm -hmm. but also really terrific to learn about what other artists are doing across the country, especially Asian Canadian theater artists and yeah. you know, what they're what they're exploring, you know, from the Maritimes all the way through the prairies and right here in Vancouver as well. Mm -hmm. 
But uh, yeah, it's um, I haven't had as much time to do that just with some of the other activities uh, I've been involved in in terms of yeah teaching or you know just different side hustles to mm-hmm. keep busy uh, or keep afloat during these strange times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, again, like I was reading one of your interviews, and I think you mentioned something like uh, gendered race theory. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I know what you're talking about, but I didn't know there was a name for it. And I think you're always looking back. Well, one hour photo is a little different. Oh, maybe a lot of your works have the theme of yeah, like Asian male masculinity, which mm-hmm. makes it extra super interesting. Which I because I'm always interested in that topic as well. Is that right? Uh, oh yeah, like I feel you know, like as a feminist, we sort of bitch about men being this way and that but at the same time i feel so like sorry especially japanese men like oh. right like you know the the stat you know the suicide rate in japan pretty high yeah and i not- i think overwhelmingly it's men exactly yes. yeah yeah oh yeah that's uh that was actually one of the motivating questions for my last play kuroko mm-hmm. very high rate of suicide so i uh among japanese Salarymen, mm-hmm. so middle-aged men uh, who lose their jobs and yeah. take a trip to suicide forest because they're no more because in a, within a culture that only values their economic output, right. then there's no more reason to to go on. But yeah, I'm really interested in you know what these questions about how men are able to have a self-identity or value mm-hmm. outside of their earning power. Yeah. So one of my best friends, um, he's uh, from New Zealand, and he, he's been quite successful in in the realm of uh, tourism. Okay. And of course, tourism has stopped altogether. Mm-hmm. And uh, so one of the things he was struggling with is his own notion of identity and value and worth. If you know his business is no more, mm-hmm. and yeah, that was a real. I think identity crisis for him because you know one of the precepts of being quote unquote a real man is um, like a real man pr- can provide right right or a real man takes care of his family mm-hmm. so I think that's why you know men all over the world but in particular in Japan when a man loses that part of his identity yeah, that is more than emasculating that's mm-hmm. I think a profound existential threat to yeah. even existing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, it's interesting why they think that way. Mm-hmm. And I, I know it's changing. You know, the young people are not as much like that. But yeah, I have friends like you know people my age. They're living in Japan, and husband doesn't do any housework. And okay, they, they just kind of. Expect my friend who also has a job, and you know, she they have kids, and but he says the cooking is your job. Like I'm not supposed to do it. Oh, okay. Huh. <laughs> and so she's super frustrated. And right. to me, it's like like I'm speechless. Like why? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Like well, you should just stop cooking and see what happens. Somebody has to cook something. Yes. But huh. yeah, and so when sometimes she you know doesn't cook and she. I don't know, cheats, she like just just disorder pizza or something, then he gets grumpy because she's slacking. Wow. <laughs> like uh, Yeah, I mean that's I think that's one of the was one of the central initial concerns uh for feminism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean this unfair, unjust distribution of domestic labor. But yeah, in Japan it, I think it must be particularly entrenched because it's a culture so governed by tradition yeah. and um gendered roles. So yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, I imagine that's quite maddening, both uh, for your friend and, and yourself as well. Yeah, yeah. hearing those stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm really interested in your new work. That sounds fascinating. Can't oh, wait well, to read thanks. that. Thanks. I'll have to uh, preview um, some early passages or chapters for you. Ooh, yeah, yeah that would be great. I'd love to read it. Okay, let's do a question period. Oh, awesome. I have just one big question. I did I give you? Yeah, I think I gave you a warning. What is the biggest challenge you've ever faced, and how did you overcome it? The biggest challenge I've ever faced, and how did I overcome it? Gosh, um, probably the biggest challenge I ever faced was 
moving to Japan, because I was born in England, mm-hmm. grew up in Canada, mm-hmm. but at the end of my undergraduate years, I had all this student debt, and I decided, I know, I'll go to Japan, teach English, pay off my student debts, the least original sort of gap year plan, so to speak, uh, mm-hmm. or post-university plans ever. So moving to Japan and not knowing anyone, not having a job was, you know, at times it was difficult. Mm-hmm. But I think after a year or so, and when I discovered this capacity within myself that, oh, I could go to a place, because my Japanese isn't that good. Mm-hmm. If anything, having a Japanese first and last name and looking the way I do was probably more of a handicap than an asset mm-hmm. because people just assumed I could, I, I'd be you know, purely Nihonjin. But when I discovered that, oh, I could make money, that I could have friends, um, be in good relationships to the point whereby I wasn't sure if I wanted to return to Canada, mm-hmm. that gave me the confidence that I could really do anything in the sense that I could go to any part of the world and start over and that I would find community and that I would find a way to uh, take care of myself and to take care of other people as well. So yeah, that was, uh, that was a life-changing experience for me, having that self-knowledge. That's great. How long were you there? Two years? Yeah, exactly. Two years. Great memory. Awesome. Let's go to the lightning round questions. Awesome. 10 questions. Okay. Um, Number one, what is your favorite Japanese food? Uni. Really? Oh my God. I had some during the telethon. Uh, oh. We were able to use it. We're going to, we had this very classy segment called plan called uni or not. <laughs> so the plan was either to stick a slug on the mouth, on oh. the tongue or <gasps> the urchin. Oh but uh, thankfully we didn't have to, we ran out of time. Okay. But yeah, I always tell people if I were on death row, last meal, uh-huh. give me a tray filled with uni. Really? And- Oh, yeah. It is really good. Yeah, yeah. It is Okinawa tofu. Have you ever had that? Um, I've been to Okinawa, but I don't I don't think I have. What's different? It's nothing like tofu. It's so oh. it's almost like a blue cheese. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's wild. You, you have to try it, but it is. Those are the two only two foods. When I eat them, yeah. eyes closed, don't talk to me. Everyone, <laughs> shut up. Don't. Okay. <laughs> On this pleasure that I'm experiencing. Uni, oh, it's so good. I haven't had uni in ages. Okay, number two, what are you reading or what's the last book you read? Uh, okay, this is boring right here. Uh, I'm just showing it on camera now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Atomic Habits, Tiny Changes, Remarkable Results. Oh. That's a kind of, it's a book about how to make your everyday things sort of habits more efficient. Yes. Seriously, I'm on. A kind of a, re- a kick. I've been reading these three books simultaneously, and these were the other books: um, uh, "Breath," mm-hmm. "The New Science of a Lost Art." Apparently, we're all breathing wrong. Oh, okay. And as a result, I now sleep with medical tape on my mouth so I can mm-hmm. breathe through my nose. Mm. I also read, read simultaneously "10% Happier," a book about meditation because I've been meditating for over a year now, but I didn't really know what I was doing. But that's a great one. And I also mm-hmm. just finished reading Marielle Trump's book about her uncle. Donald. Oh, okay. Okay. Which was fascinating, but not well written. Hmm. And then, yes, those. So those are the books that I've been reading, which probably make me sound really uninteresting. In <laughs> you read them on uh, ebook mostly. Uh, yeah, ebook. Uh, this one, I I bought the hard copy because mm-hmm. if I'm really into a book, what I've learned in grad school is I if a book is a high value to me, then I'll read it the way a chef guts a fish in that mm-hmm. I'll use a lot of markers and pens. Yeah. I'll pull passages. So I read this originally on an ebook, but actually audiobooks have been my jam mm. lately. Yeah. And probably my two favorite autobiographies uh, or memoirs that I've read le- recently mm-hmm. was uh, Heavy by Kiese Lehman, okay. uh, which is a remarkable story about um, this young black professor and his tempestuous relationship, uh, which was physically abusive with his mother, and also uh, Maggie Nelson's The Argonauts, which combines feminist critical theory and her own relationship with her trans artist husband. Mm -hmm. And that book was so mind-blowing to me. I just didn't know 
you were allowed to write that way. Hmm. Yeah, so highly recommend Heavy and The Argonauts. Okay, great. This lightning round isn't so lightning. <laughs> no, these are good. Like, I'm always looking for book recommendations. Um, the Habit book, I read The Power of Habit years uh -huh. ago. Yeah, the things about habits are pretty interesting, too. Yeah, yeah um, I, I think so, because, you know, what we... I always look at what we do each day. Yeah. It's kind of a microcosm of the rest of our life. Yeah. It's a very unprofound observation. I feel like just as <laughs> Okay, let's go. Uh, number three, what is your life motto? My life motto. Gosh. Everything in moderation, including moderation. <laughs> okay. No, actually, that's not probably such a good answer. <laughs> um, life motto. Um, well, I haven't been able to distill it into a motto or an aphorism mm -hmm. but i often ask myself the deathbed question which is how will i feel about this when i'm dying yeah. and that usually guides most of my actions so in other words don't clean the house let's go outside yeah 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 then what's that quote i like about the house um i think the clean house means wasted living or something like that oh yeah i'm all for that i my house is not clean so yeah that works for me. Okay, number four. What are you afraid of? What am I afraid of? I guess I'm afraid of public humiliation, which may be surprising to some who know me because 48 hours ago, I was stripped down to my fundoshi, <laughs> ginch, I mean my sumo gear, and mm -hmm. I was bending over showing my oshiri <laughs> people uh, online. But that, of course, is a kind of frivolous ersatz form of humiliation but i suppose the the other more profound kind is i feel like i have this self-identity as an artist and if i don't make it as an artist then what will people think and this was only made visible to me because i will be interviewing uh, bill richardson in a few weeks time and what's so remarkable about bill richardson who is the great writer canadian national treasure and sorry, did I say treasurer? <laughs> Not the minister of finance. Uh, yeah. But and of course, uh, he was also the host of the Roundup on mm -hmm. CBC Radio before I took over. But he's really remarkable in that his present job is as a stalker. I mean, stock boy mm -hmm. in a grocery store, and he's always going through Craigslist looking for these jobs that are you would think are far beneath this Canadian man of letters. And he's not doing it as a stunt. It's not performance art. Uh, he needs the work and he enjoys the work. Mm -hmm. And his example strikes me as so fearless. Mm -hmm. uh, so people will walk into a bookstore and they find him not signing books, but, you know, selling them. Yeah. And, Bill Richardson, what are you doing here? And it, it just made me rethink, why do we have this conception of artists that we need them to be in a studio or in a garret or devoting all their time when in fact, you know, history is filled with artists uh, who have day jobs. And mm -hmm. there, is, there, I think there's a great nobility in that. Like I think of uh, apparently Philip Glass, the great contemporary composer, you know, his day job for a long time was driving a taxi or mm -hmm. he was also moving furniture. And at one point he was moving furniture and the door opened and this guy said, oh my God, you're Philip Glass. Philip Glass is is moving my couch. What's going on? And he said, uh, and he said, well, today I'm Philip Glass, the furniture mover. So please step out of the way. So yeah, I think uh, I want to learn that level of courage and get over that particular fear. Hmm. Yeah, because it's interesting because there are a lot of people, younger people, who look at you and like, oh my God, Tetsuro Shigematsu, right? You know what I mean? Like yes. he's the big star. <laughs> And he's a PhD, he has a PhD and he's a professor. And well, yeah, not not a professor, but um, an adjunct lecturer, which means like no benefits or, or what have you. But <laughs> this is what I want to ask Bill Richardson because he's so much more famous than I am. Is that because in a way I get it? People think that if you're if you're famous, you must be rich, you know, rich and famous. <laughs> and so yeah, that's funny that you can be you can have profile, but you can be experiencing like abject levels of poverty like mm -hmm. so i think people would be quite surprised to learn that you know if i make twenty thousand in a year that's a really good year for me mm -hmm. uh, uh and and again it's surprising because i'm the sole breadwinner for my family 
you know, my mom lives with us. I have two kids and a partner. And uh, so it's just, I think people have difficulty reconciling, you know, maybe they see me and they see, oh, I'm here and there. But yeah, as a, as an artist of color mm -hmm. in Canada, in such an expensive city like Vancouver. Yeah. Yeah, it is, uh, you know, so much of our time is spent on the drudgery of our vocation. And mm -hmm. I actually compared notes with someone who is, I consider more of an artist than me, TJ Daw. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know TJ. Yeah, yeah. He used to be a oh, French king. TJ Daw is well respected and beloved and admired, but he is known as a theater artist, one of the few that's living the dream in that he only does his creative work. He mm -hmm. only does his, his art. And so when I had a conversation with him, I asked what degree, what percentage of your time is devoted to art as a full-time artist? Mm -hmm. And he said, maybe 10%. Mm -hmm. The rest of that is purely administrative. Mm -hmm. Paperwork, forms, visas, you know, applications. Mm -hmm. So, and I found that that 90 slash 10% is actually quite consistent for nearly every professional artist. For example, I know a fashion designer mm -hmm. and she spends maybe 10, five or 10% on sketches. Yeah. The rest of it is QuickBooks, you know, making payroll, mm -hmm. all the administrative stuff. So, sorry, again, not very lightning me. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, it's interesting because um, that sort of notion of artists shouldn't have day job, that, yeah. that idea, I think that's more prevalent amongst artists themselves. I don't think non-artist people, which I don't really believe they are artists and non-artists because everyone's artists, I think. But mm -hmm. let's say people who are not in the creative field, I don't think they would look at people like you and say, Tetsuro has a day job? Like, I can't believe he has a day job. Like, oh, I guess he's not an artist. I don't think people think like that. I think well, it's I think it's more of more in our heads. Okay. I think it's more like a self-conscious thing. Yeah, you I really appreciate your pushback on this because you're right. Maybe it's just this uh, myth that sort of self-involved artists like myself cultivate. But <laughs> you're right. I mean, because again, you know, uh, the culture is is filled with like one of my favorite, like Wallace Stevens, uh, what sold insurance in Connecticut, uh, and of course he was, you know, one of the great poets of the of the 20th century. I, I guess you're right. I guess it's a standard that artists aspire to that I'll only be a real artist when I can do this full time. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, no, yeah, I, yeah, you I'm sure you're right. Although I know for, I know that when people do encounter the great Bill Richardson uh, in a variety of contexts, mm. his fans are surprised. Right, right. Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what are you doing here? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, number five. What is the one thing people always misunderstand about you? Oh, these are great questions. I'll have to borrow them. Mm -hmm. What are questions? What is the one thing that people always miss? Gosh. Well, I think because of the nature of my work and it's sometimes political overtones, mm -hmm. I think sometimes people assume I am more militant than mm -hmm. I am as a person of color. And certainly I have a really strong minority perspective, but my consciousness as a person of color, it, it's flickering in the sense that, yes, there are times when I'm angry about it and I'll think about it and I'll write about it. But I think for the most part, you know, much of my day or my consciousness of that dimension of my personality, it's pretty, pretty friendly. Uh, mm -hmm. In the sense that I, I'm not angry at white people, you know, <laughs> I love white people, yeah. you know, some of my best friends are white people. <laughs> uh, so I think there's that. Okay. Also, I think when people see a name like Tetsuro Shigematsu and my appearance, they might assume I'm more Japanese than I am. Mm. You know, maybe when they find out, oh, you know, I was, I grew up in Surrey. I think that might be a disappointment for them. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay number six okay what would you take to a desert island if you have to go there alone okay so i can't bring another person right that's right yeah okay uh gosh what would i take to a desert island well 
I guess the boring answer would be a collection of books. Mm -hmm. But in truth, I'm a bit of a prepper survivalist. So I'd likely bring some sort of bowie knife Mm -hmm. that was full tang. And full tang means that the metal Mm -hmm. runs from the tip of the blade all the way down the handle. I only know that because I've been in the market for knives because <laughs> I saw I saw that you you bought her weapon as exactly. birthday present weapon for her collection. Nice. So it would have to be some versatile tactical knife that could mm-hmm. start a fire and shoot flares. Mm-hmm. Good. That's a yeah, that's a good practical answer. I like this question asking this question cuz I get all kinds of answers. Some people say like yeah, I'll bring my family and I had to say no, you're not allowed to bring family somebody said a boat and i said no <laughs> that doesn't work like that somebody said you know iphones like no so yeah but i get knives here and there and knives are i think the the smartest thing to bring oh. <laughs> i would bring a pen and paper but yeah oh and what would you, what would you write i don't know i have plenty of time to figure that out oh that's terrific yeah okay uh number seven what makes you feel vulnerable what makes me feel vulnerable? That's a great question. I suppose what makes me feel vulnerable is when I see certain kinds of people in the audience who I, uh-huh. whose opinion, for some reason, I fear or I feel like they might be judging me. Mm. So my vocation is strange in the sense that what I do, at least part of the year, is stand in front of audiences and by myself and for the length of a movie and try to hold their attention and make mm-hmm. them feel, feel like their expensive ticket was worthwhile. So in order to do that requires a lot of confidence. Mm-hmm. But sometimes if I know someone, if they're a fellow theater artist who I really respect, or if it's someone who is not picking up what I'm putting down, and you never know because people's faces are hard to read. Uh, yeah, that makes me feel... That causes yeah. me to leave my body. That makes, yeah, it makes sense. I, yeah, I don't know how you guys do that. Every time I go see any live theater, I was like, I don't know how these people are doing this. Oh, well, they're much harder okay. um, than other people do. I mean, in the scheme, grand scheme of things, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's a pretty privileged task. But, uh, yeah, it'll certainly throw me for a loop if someone's giving me a weird look. Right. right. Yeah. Like, yeah, even seeing a family member or a friend, yeah, it would make me feel weird if I were in, in your shoes, I think. Yeah. Or if, I, if I'm performing and I don't have the full accoutrements of theater, for example, I'm performing one of my stories in a classroom under fluorescent lights, I can mm. feel it a little bare. But mm. usually it just takes a, you know, a few moments to get into it. And I have a lot of faith in the power of, of words and of stories. Mm-hmm. So I know that has the ability to transport people. No, no. Mm. Okay, number eight. If you could change one thing in the world, what would it be? This is a boring answer, but it would be the education system. Uh-huh. I think the education system is broken. And I would, this is very specific, if I could enact a legislation that could not be undone, I would make it easier for bad teachers to be fired permanently mm-hmm. they no longer work in the same profession and i'd make it uh that good teachers could earn up to half a million dollars a year so mm-hmm. they could start off you know if they're teaching six figure uh like if they're teaching 150 percent of the curriculum in a given year they should automatically make a hundred thousand mm-hmm. uh, versus those who only get through half of it yeah don't get me started on education mm-hmm. but uh, that's probably what i did my degree in and i think yeah, as boring an answer as that is, I feel mm-hmm. like there are a few professions in the world whereby a teacher has such impact, such yeah. impact on a, a child, a young person, mm-hmm. and yet there is such a high percentage of practitioners who should not be in that profession. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Hmm. Good answer. Um, number nine, what are you hooked on right now? What am I hooked on? Like a show or a hobby or whatever. I guess I'm hooked on this combination that I alluded to in my present reading list of 
breathing slash meditation slash mindfulness, which I, even as I say it, I, I realize how boring <laughs> the answer is that. But I, I feel that, you know, I, I'm really lucky within my family with my partner, Bahari, my two kids, my mother, they all have really wonderful personalities. And I'm sort of the grumpy, toxic jerk. And what? Yeah, you sound surprised, surprised. and I acting ability. Uh, so, like, I feel like I have the worst personality, uh, and, which is ironic because I think it's the force of my personality that enables me to be known, so to speak. But you know, uh, everyone else gets the good parts; they get the bad parts. And I, but I do feel that this combination of practices has enabled me to be a little bit less of a jerk. You know, certainly I still lose my temper; I still get grumpy. But I think I'm more apt to have, apt to move into a kind of wise remorse immediately after, or to even sense it coming in terms of my own emotional weather systems. Mm -hmm. And then having a different relationship to my feelings uh, and to my thoughts. So I'm appreciating being able to have a different relationship to my thoughts and feelings. Mm -hmm. practices. And I think it makes me a better performer too. Um, mm. Like when I, after I started meditating, I did, I performed one hour photo and I just realized I could be relaxed on stage and more present in a way that I had never been before. Wow. Okay. I should really meditate too. Yeah, that's good. You have a need to. <laughs> okay. Last question. What are you grateful for? Oh, what am I grateful for? Gosh. Again, this is so sucky, but... I have so many things to be grateful for with so many of us stuck at home. I think mm -hmm. in particular of uh, women who are stuck in households with abusive mm -hmm. partners. Yeah. I can't even imagine you know, how much worse things are for them as well as people who have lost their jobs or those on the front line, health, healthcare workers. My twin sister is a school teacher. She's being forced to go back to school. She lives in Quebec. Mm. And it's such a scary time. And I'm just so grateful that everyone in my family, in my immediate household, we all get along. And so far, we're all healthy, knock on wood. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I almost feel guilty for how blessed we are, given our circumstances compared to, compared to other people. So it's... And I realize all these things I enjoy, it's, they're all just privileges. I, they're, they're, these aren't things that I earned. I, I have them by virtue of being born into a particular social class or being, you know, from this culture and not from that culture or mm. this point in history, you know, male privilege. Uh, the fact that I'm Japanese in the 20th, first century rather than the 1940s. So mm. it's all just, nothing is through my own merit. And I just try to be mindful of that. Hmm. Good answer. Thank you. Um, speaking of culture, this this is nothing to do with uh, what we talked about today. It's just an observation, but I wanted to share with you. Um, my husband, I'm a Japanese woman married to a Jewish husband, and you're a Japanese man married to a Persian woman. Yes. And if I remember correctly, this happened both times the four of us got together. <laughs> And like neither one of you, uh, one of us are um, like a quiet type, you and me, right? We yeah. like a usually four of us will just talk. But I think both times, well, a bunch of times that happened. At some point, my husband and your wife would start talking and they get so passionate and animated. And certain times you and I become very quiet. Have you <laughs> noticed that before? And they're not fight. They're not fighting. They're yeah, just. They're 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 kind of they're kind of politely arguing about something. <laughs> yeah, and it, it happened a couple of times, and I just like I really don't have anything to say, and I'm not really mad at them or anything. No, that's a great observation. But why is it that you and I both times defaulted into the sort of cultural expectation that Japanese slash Asians, yeah, will just. I don't know, avoid conflict or be quiet or. Yeah, yeah maybe avoiding conflict. Well, and like for me personally, like the most part of the reason is I really don't have anything to add. 
like they're talking about something very political and I was like I don't really know too much about this or the history but that's so funny um because you're right because it crosses the the gender axis as as a male Japanese and you as a female Japanese and yeah that's that's so funny that's so interesting uh I wonder yeah I feel like someone might do their master's thesis <laughs> yeah that would be interesting yeah it's it, it really is I also think though that Persian culture and Jewish culture have a stronger tradition of orality mm -hmm. or, yeah uh, storytelling mm -hmm. being vocal yeah. and also showing respect by having it out mm -hmm. yeah. like yeah, when I first married into the Persian community, and if I encountered conflict, I realized by keeping my voice low, mm -hmm. remaining in control with, let's say, some angry Iranians, that would infuriate them because they considered it very condescending. Oh, okay. Uh, whereas I've since learned that, you know, if I can match their level in terms of volume and vehemence, mm -hmm. then... It results in a kind of intimacy afterwards. Mm, yeah, interesting. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> you're, you're Japanese mm -hmm. from Japan. Yeah, you're, I'm the I'm the banana. You know, the, <laughs> I still you know haven't been raised by such traditional Japanese parents. I think mm -hmm. there, yeah, there is an element of that. Yeah, I mean, I guess a question I like to ask people is, and me, I'll ask you this question: In what ways do you, Yukari, fulfill cultural stereotypes, and in what ways do you subvert them? Hmm. Yeah, like, uh, God, I don't know. Because I try not to do that, right? Yeah. But in the, yeah, I think it, it's not really a conflict, but I think my lizard brain probably perceives it as like a conflict. And I was like, shh, <laughs> be quiet. Like, don't say anything. Um, right. I think that's, I think that's what's happening. You know, if somebody is like a, actively accusing me or you know like somebody my kids or something then it's different but when they're just in a heated argument i kind of tend to like <laughs> like you know disappear into the background yeah right yeah and i think again that, that that's that's uh such a japanese impulse right mm -hmm. yeah yeah i don't know yeah this is something i think i'm grappling with myself is yeah because i hate I, I'm reveling against the stereotypical women thing, uh -huh. but at the same time, yeah, it's so, I don't have the word for it, but it's, it's really so hard to get out of it. Cause sometimes it, it bothers me a lot when my husband does something that's like totally different. Like I say, he's also American, right? Like when we're walking around, he's talking so loud yeah. and I'm like, I'm like, will you just like be quiet? Like, why do you have to yell? And I'm always sort of controlling him that way. Like, what? why? And he was like, yeah. he's like, I'm American. Like, what's wrong with that? And I was like, it, like, I, it's getting better, but I used to really hate it. I was like, why, why do you have to stand out? Like, why can't you just be shh? Oh, yeah. That's a very Japanese of me, which yeah, is really weird. The other weird. day, we were um, having a picnic with some friends to celebrate Bahari's birthday. And our friends like to bring those Bluetooth speakers and play their music loudly. Mm -hmm. And there was another table, picnic table, not far from us, but of these pious uh, Iranians with the headscarf. Mm -hmm. And th we were playing, you know, rap music and what have you. But I felt very self-conscious that our music was too loud. Mm -hmm. So I just thought, yeah. just, it actually caused, I think, cortisol to rise in my blood. Right. Subjecting that group of people in particular to, you know, all these rap lyrics and heavy bass lines. Mm -hmm. and so yeah, yeah, it uh, it was stressing me out. Yeah. Uh, so I would, but then I would start turning down the volume, and I'm sort of famous in in the group for turning off the music. Right? <laughs> but again, I can't Japanese, like just this keen awareness to the point mm -hmm. where excruciating. Right. Taking out, right, and I think yeah. that is that's so interesting. Yeah, like I felt like uh, like that was that was physically painful for me to hear how loud the music was through their ears because uh, i would be like that too if i were in your situation i would that would really stress me out too yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah exactly huh i wonder is this a japanese thing i think so I... also you know the the nail that sticks out mm -hmm. proverb you get yeah. hammered down 
So I think we're trying not to stick out like unconsciously. Yeah, I also think it's um, part of the, if, if there is such a thing as a kind of a national character, I, I think that it's, I think Japanese people are often very aware of not taking up too much psychic space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so like, for example, you know, if, if you were to have house guests, you know, you know, it, it, again, this is a stereotype, but if you have a kind of an international student from Japan, you know, they're likely not going to be making too much noise, partying right. too hard or, yeah. you know, leaving their stuff all over the place. They're going to be small. Mm-hmm. The way an English butler is small mm-hmm. in the room. Uh, they're not going to be taking up, you know, they're not going to be, you know, psychologically manspreading. Right, right, right. Yeah. All over the place. Hmm. Really interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we could talk for hours, but. Yeah. <laughs> great. Stop here. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was my pleasure. Thank you for asking me. This week's guest was Tetsuro Shigematsu. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kari. It was a pleasure. Now there you have it. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tetsuro. You can follow Tetsuro on social media. I will post all his account on my show note. As mentioned in the conversation, Tetsuro is offering a free masterclass on August 18th. I have added the registration link in the show note as well. If you enjoy Living Break Podcast, please consider supporting us. You can send one-time donation via PayPal or perhaps you may consider becoming a patron on Patreon. These info are also on the show note. Thank you for supporting creators. You can find me on Instagram as Yukari Peerless or Yukari P on Twitter. Please send any questions or comments. I would love to hear from you. Be brave and keep on creating. Stay safe, everyone, and thank you for listening. <laughs>